This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. Not accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's go ahead and get right into it on this week's presentation. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for enjoying another episode of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Over a decade and still going strong, and that is thanks to you, the listeners. So thanks, everybody, for checking out the show. You can get the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button, get every episode of the Blitz whenever it drops. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five star review. That's how we uh, keep these things going. Our management knows if we're doing an okay job. So uh, any feedback you give is appreciated. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru he is matt butler how are you sir doing pretty well man how about you not too shabby and the third member of our team he wears a number of hats he's a renaissance man but for the purposes of this podcast he is our lockdown corner here on longhorn blitz lifetime longhorn 2002 ut all-american 2002 semifinalist for the jim thorpe award fourth round draft choice of the new york giants back in 2003 spent his nfl career with the giants lions bears bucks broncos and a year with the hamilton tiger cats of the cfl when he was done with football he got himself back to austin texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree whenever that t-ring comes back in we will make sure he wears it proudly nevertheless he is a card carrying member of dbu and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro as always, brother. Uh, 
Guys, I want to start this week. Rod, probably you probably best to start this with. I was, I was thinking about the NFL draft. We already covered the draft, but I'm thinking about it in terms of premium positions. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk to people in the league. You follow the league. You're well-versed in what's going on in the NFL. Would you still say not in any order, but that the five premium positions now in football are quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rusher, cornerback, wide receiver? Would you say those are five premium positions? Or or would you say wide receiver is a premium position at this point? Yes, it is now. Okay. Yeah. So there are five premium positions. Yeah. I mean, it keeps growing kind of with the evolution of the game. But now wide receiver and cornerback are – added to that list. Yeah, and you look at the pay yeah. grade too, like top end wide receivers, they get paid about as good as anybody. Yeah. And with as much with as much RPO as there is, with as much, I mean, you're running stuff. And to me, with the NFL, the NFL's version of the RPO, when you talk about strengths, I mean the hash marks aren't near what they are in the college game. Does it really matter if you if you're talking left tackle or right tackle anymore? Mm, I mean, I think you just want your tackles period to be strong yeah um and now you're seeing a lot of teams that they do want more versatility on o-line so they want guys that you know can play multiple positions or can be cross-trained cowboys started out that with their tyler smith they want mm-hmm. a guy that they can move around because it's now the o-line's kind of becoming what the secondary used to be where all right i got a i got a corner who's a great corner but your age out of corner is just natural because you know i mean father time yeah. comes for us all but you still, if your football acumen and your football IQ um, continues to increase, yet your physical skills decrease, you can still end up moving to safety. And we've seen that, obviously, that progression for DBs time after time. It's been really successful. Yeah. I think you're starting to see a little bit on the O-line, too. I think you're starting to look at some of the O-linemen. There are some O-linemen now that changed going from when they're at their peak. It's like, all right, you're a left tackle now. You're at your peak. And then you'll see a move around. Um, as either they acquire more talent or as they begin to kind of re revamp the O-line, which every team has to do every, I don't know, four or five years or so. Right. So I think, yeah, I think you're starting to see that. But either way, I'm with you. Both tackles probably should be in there. And that's why they say pass rush. You're not looking for, you know, a left end or right. You're looking for a great pass rusher, period. Yeah. Let's look at Micah Parsons. He's playing, he'll play DN now, but just a pass rusher. I think D-line probably covers it, especially if you've got, you know, a guy like Aaron Donald who can, and maybe Aaron Donald's a bad example, but I'm thinking about like an interior pass rusher that can play multiple shades no matter where no, you want Chris to go. Jones. With, yeah, okay, there you go. Chris Jones like that. Um, I, mean, I mean, if you want to have him play a three technique and like a NASCAR package, he can. You Straight want to kick him out daddy. to a seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. he can do that. So I started thinking about this in terms of pre- Collins should be. Sorry. Yes. No, it's not a shot at Africa Collins, but that's what we're hoping he's the, he's that this year. He's got the body for it. Yeah. It's, uh, he got the tools for it. Just Bring oh it. man, you just hope it comes to fruition. I mm-hmm. think everybody listening to this right now, Rod, probably when you said Chris Jones, you said it. I think they were thinking the same thing. Like, oh, mm. that's what Alfred Collins turns out to be, yep. or something close to it. But I was thinking about this in terms of when Texas has been really good, and you know, I kind of we can talk about first round picks, but. I decided just to look at top 100 picks because I think if you're if you're in the top 100 in the draft, you're probably going in the first three rounds, mm-hmm. most likely, unless there's a weird thing with comp picks or whatever. What? But I, I really started looking at it for the 2001 draft. So that's coming off the 2000 season, Rod. Your sophomore year, uh, Texas was nine and three, nine and two in the regular season, lost the Holiday Bowl to Oregon, and you start looking at the top 100 picks and look at the positions Texas was putting out into the draft. Leonard Davis, offensive tackle. You wouldn't call Casey Hampton a pass rusher, but 
there wasn't probably a, a you go back and look at that 0-1 draft, maybe not a better pick that fit more of what a team does than Casey Hampton going to the Steelers. Uh, Sean Rogers was a pro bowler. Mm-hmm. Rod, you, you played with him in Detroit. The 2002 draft, Mike Williams, fourth overall as an offensive tackle. Quentin Jammer, fifth overall as a corner. Go to 2003, Corey Redding, pass rusher. Chris Sims, quarterback. 2004, Roy Williams, wide receiver. Marcus Tubbs, again, hitting that defensive line. 2005 is a little bit different because Cedric Benson at running back, Derek Johnson at off-ball linebacker, you wouldn't consider those mm. premium positions, but those are premium players. Yes, and Derek Johnson was before his time, too. Yes. Yeah. Go to 2006, Vince Young, quarterback. Michael Huff could be corner, could be safety, didn't really matter. Mm. Cedric Griffin, corner. The only one that really didn't fit, David Thomas, at tight end, but you the Patriots took him. Belichick was already trying to do the thing he eventually ended up doing with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez where you could play more 12 personnel. Yep. 2007, Michael Griffin. I think the Titans actually drafted him as a corner. Mm-hmm. Aaron Ross, corner. Justin Blaylock, offensive tackle. Tim Crowder, pass rusher. Brian Robinson went 102 overall, pass rusher. Go to 2008, Jamal Char- uh, Lima Swede. Wide receiver, premium position. Jamal Charles, not a premium position, but a premium player. Um, whereas I had Jermichael Finley, tight end, but we know not a typical inline guy. A guy that, you know, Green Bay, they moved him around, did a lot of different things mm-hmm. with him. Go to 2009, Brian Arakpo, pass rusher. Roy Miller, defensive line. Henry Melton goes 105, pass rusher. And a guy in more of that Chris Jones mode, Rod, where you yep. can do different things with him. Henry Melton ended up being... A Pro Bowl player. 2010, Earl Thomas, again, fit perfectly with that Legion of Boom defense. Sergio Kendall, pass rusher. Lamar Thomas, versatile lineman. Jordan Shipley, wide receiver. Colt McCoy, quarterback. That's probably the end of, and I'll say the following year, you had Aaron Williams and Curtis Brown going to the top 100. Sam Acho went 103. That's still a corner-corner pass rusher. So probably right around the, that's probably where it cuts off of when Texas Mm. really stopped producing premium players on a regular basis. Let me rephrase that. Players at premium positions on a regular basis. There's a lot of too many P's in here. You got that. <laughs> Rod, you got that. What is it? The uh, I don't even want to say it. Uh, oh, power personnel and pivot to past principles. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of alliteration. It just uh, goes, my brain Helps can't process it. stick in there life. sometimes. But, you know, you start looking at it and, like, let's take quarterback, okay? Uh, Colt McCoy was drafted in the top 100. You didn't – you. Still waiting on a quarterback mm-hmm. to go in the first 100 picks. Sam was was picked 218. Uh, wide receiver. You had Devin Duvernay was 92 when he got drafted in 2020. You didn't have a wide receiver go in the top 100. The next one you had was, uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, Marquise Goodwin in 2013. Oh, speed, baby. Speed, a seven-year gap between... Somebody spent a premium pick on a premium position player, wide receiver from Texas. Well, it just, I think it's, it, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. But I think it more showcases the offensive identity crisis at Texas during that time. What yeah. years were those? Uh, let's see. Marcus Goodwin was 2013, and you didn't have another one until Duvernay in the 2020 draft. There you go. 
So I mean, that's, that's really that season the, of that's that, you're, you're in the, the meat of your offensive identity crisis as a program, right? So getting back to your premium positions in the NFL. So premium position in the NFL, we know what they are, quarterback, uh, tackle, uh, defensive and pass rusher, whatever it may be, cornerback, wide receiver, it all revolves around the mm-hmm. passing game. Mm-hmm. And Texas had their office of identity crisis, which was sparked by the Shakespearean irony of the marquee university in the state of Texas not being able to find a quarterback in what became the quarterback mecca of the United mm-hmm. States of America. Like, you couldn't write it. It's like, that, that's crazy. You can't even make that stuff up. So I just think it reflects that. So I was right. That affected Texas' ability to develop a passing game, to develop a passing identity. And when we talked about it at times, you know, Texas trying to, whatever, reinvent themselves offensively, whether it be with a new offensive coordinator, whether it be with a coach that decided, like Mac Brown, hey, man, we're going from this style to this style. Texas probably had six, seven different attempts at an offensive identity yeah. within maybe a 10-year period, and they just kept missing and whiffing. And now, actually for the first time in a long time, and I've, I've talked about this on the show and I've talked about it here on Longhorn Blitz, you know, Longhorn fans have famously hated Texas offenses for decades. I mean, you got to go back to Daryl K. Royal was the last time Longhorns actually started like praising uh, and Emory Ballard, last time they praised an offensive identity. Even when Greg Davis was here, most Longhorn fans complained and criticized Greg Davis way more than they complimented his offenses. We've probably been more, more complimentary of Greg Davis' offense than anybody and any other podcast and probably kind of shown a different light on Greg Davis than most Longhorn fans. So they hate the offense. They like Sark's offense, though. So Sark's offense, it appeals. It's aesthetically pleasing. It It's easy to uh, recruit to Sark's offense because it is an explosive offense and it's known for you know big chunk plays. It wants it, It's an offense that wants to be exciting almost to a fault. right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Chasing the deep ball, those kind of things. But either way, I, I do think the offensive identity crisis had a direct effect on Texas' ability to produce premium positions because when you're switching identities, you can't even produce a premium position um, because number one, you know, obviously you don't you don't have the consistency, all right, to be able to sustain a certain system over time and then recruit players successfully to that system, but also you didn't keep up with football theory where the game was going. Yeah. All right, Mac Brown's initial. You know, mistake, Dane coaching mistake, miscalculation was, all right, I want to be like Bama. I want to be like Nick Saban. Nick Saban just beat me with this power running game. That's what we're going, baby. We're going power running game. And it's like, no, 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 Michael. Downhill go, go, running go attack. study football. And even Nick Saban eventually ended up switching to what is now spread, tempo, pace, and space. You know, kind of a hot octane progressive passing game. And now, ironically, oh, I don't know if they're running it now because they changed OCs, but Mac Brown was running the damn air raid when he went to North Carolina. And yet he was in the midst of it in the Big 12. He was in the midst of all, uh, basically, an offensive identity that had terraformed the Big 12 and was the really kind of the experimental ground of offensive evolution in all of football, not just college football, right here in the Big 12. And yeah. yet Mac Brown didn't want to see it and refused to see it. So his lack of being a football theorist ultimately drove Texas down his path of, you know, the lack of an offensive identity and ultimately. That's getting back to what you said. That's why you aren't producing any premium positions in the NFL because you can get your own ish together. Yeah, and Jeff, I'm glad you brought this up too and asking about the wide receiver because we talked a lot about the show and like you know the, where the depth of Texas is this season and it's been at maybe you just say wide receiver and then like last year 
D-line, but more so the interior D-line. And if you look at the NFL where the salaries have went in recent years, it's pretty crazy because, like, you have, of course, your quarterbacks. There's 17 that are paid over $29 million. But I just quickly pulled the guys that are getting paid over $20 million. The most is wide receiver. They're 14 in the NFL getting paid over $20 million. If you look over $21 million, there's nine. In relation to that, left tackles down to only three get paid more than $21 million. But if you look at interior, D-line is six. And if you look at the edge rusher, at seven. So the NFL has got to the point where interior, D-line, you have more top-tier players in the salary yeah. cap in the interior, D-line, and edge rusher. But the most overall is wide receiver. Even if you combine interior, D-line, and edge rusher, there are 13 players getting paid over $20 million per year. Wide receivers at 14, so it's pretty crazy because after that, you had three at left tackle, three at cornerback, two at right tackle, and then the only positions that don't have anybody that's over 20, you have one linebacker, Roquan Smith, right at 20 million, and one left guard, Quentin Nelson. Everybody else is below that. So I just want to run down the the, the premium position picks, or not the, the premium picks. I'm saying premium too much on this show. Uh, <laughs> Top 100 picks Texas has had, and, and let's look at the positions, and you can see why this program has struggled the way it has. I'll start with the – they didn't have any top 100 picks in the 2012 draft coming off the 11 season, uh, but so you got to go to the 2013 draft. Kenny Vaccaro, Swiss Army Knife, DB, Marquise Goodwin, wide receiver. Uh, nobody drafted at all in 2014. I think you all are starting to sense a pattern here already. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2015, Malcolm Brown on the interior defensive line, but a different kind of defensive tackle. Uh, and Jordan Hicks is an off-ball linebacker. Then you go all the way to 2017, Deontay Foreman is a running back. Again, premium talent, not a premium position. 2017, or excuse me, 2018, Connor Williams, offensive tackle. Malik Jefferson, off-ball linebacker. Then you go to 2020, Brandon Jones, Swiss Army Knife DB, Devin DuVernay, wide receiver. You go to the 21 draft, Sam Cosby, offensive tackle, Joseph Osai, pass rusher. And then this, the most recent draft, your two top 100 picks, B. John Robinson at running back, DeMarvin Overshone at off-ball linebacker. So we're not seeing quarterbacks and a bunch of wide receivers and a plethora of pass rushers. And you haven't had a top 100 corner since Curtis Brown. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what this new, the next draft is supposed to be all about, right, for, for Sark from what he's built. Like yeah. if Xavier Worthy's up there and then your Quinn Ewers, all these mock drafts for the 2024 draft have Texas with some premium positions. Mm-hmm. That's where I was going with again. all this. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, if, if it ends up coming to fruition. If I'm you're going to, if you're going to hit your ceiling, which man, my colleagues at 24 seven sports, Brad Crawford specifically, he, Brad went out on that limb. He, he said, Texas is making the playoff. He put Texas in the Rose bowl in his uh, way too early bowl projections. Which I mean, if you're if you're gonna like we talked about, if you're gonna win the Big Twelve, be in contention for the Big Twelve, then you're probably in the mix to to be in the playoff. Got to be in the conversation. At least. Yes. So, but I think Texas, Rod, to your point, they're gonna get there. They're gonna reach their ceiling with their premium because you lost two premium talents, LaRochon and Bijan. You lost a premium talent with Demarvin Overshawn. Now you need your talented guys, those premium positions. You need them to take that next step. That's Quinn, that's Xavier Worthy, that's Kelvin Banks. I would say not necessarily Ryan Watts, 
at corner because we kind of know what Ryan Watts is. I, agree with that. I think it's Terrence Brooks or whoever's opposite of Ryan Watts. Mm-hmm. That corner needs to produce at a consistent level, at a really high level. Uh, and then where's the pass rush going to come from? Speaking of Aaron Donald, Matt, and you talking about interior defensive line, and if Byron Murphy's your best pass rusher, then okay, you could if you have that one guy mm-hmm. that, a, that an offense has to know we got to have two or three bodies occupy him mm-hmm. every snap. Everything funnels out easier. I know it was over twenty years ago, but Rod, I'm sure playing coverage for you was a lot easier. Sean, let me rephrase that. I'm sure Sean. I'm just all over the place, everybody. I apologize. <laughs> I'm sure Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton oh, man. made life a lot easier for you on the back end. I was a young corner too, sophomore, and I had those guys on the line, and it was basically cover for you can cover for two and a half seconds, you're good. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's why we started playing bump and run. Honestly, I believe it's because he wanted. He said, "Man, basically, if I can get a Quinn Jammer on one side and a technician playing bump and run on the other side, and I can get those two monsters, two mm-hmm. war daddies, Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers, blowing up the line of scrimmage and getting pressure where quarterbacks hate it the most, right up the gut. Mm-hmm. Man, there's why would I give why would I give the quarterback a three step read? Why would I give him quick game? Yeah. yeah. That's stupid. And with those two guys there, take away the quick game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then he'll be panicked from, you know, basically from the jump. And it's exactly the way it went down. So it was it was easy. That was probably the easiest job I had covering was that year with Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers. And that's where you always tackle. hear people talk about tying the two together, the coverage and the pass rush. And that's where that responsibility of the DBs, those first three seconds, because if you have that reliable pass rush and you know that they can get home in three seconds, like that's why we talk a lot about time to throw and quarterbacks being able to get the ball out early and how we really saw good signs from the Texas offense this year compared to the previous year in year one with Sark because you were chopping a full second off of the quarterback getting the ball out that fast. And that's sort of how you could have a guy like, say, Tom Brady prolong his career. If you look at him over the past decade, his ability to understand pre-snap, and we lived it with Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley at that time and how Colt was able to set this all-time, you know, what we thought wouldn't be broken, but completion percentage record that was now had the rest of – college football evolving towards and it's that quick game and getting it out and understanding so if you can marry those two together and have those physical corners to be the ones we need you to win for two and a half seconds we're going to trust our guys to get there on the bat on the other end and once you marry those two together and especially with the guy that can get there from point a you don't have to worry about the outside which maybe takes a step longer or two if you got a guy at the middle disrupting everything then you're just home free I asked you last year, Rod, and and you proved yourself right and maybe answered my question, and and the Texas defense answered my question. I asked you, man, does the the Pat Narduzzi, Gary Patterson way of playing coverage, can it still work, or have offenses just kind of figured it out? And and I think what I've come to realize is something I talked about last week. You know, no matter what coverage you run, you're a – you know, you're a cover two guy, you're a cover three guy, you're a pattern match quarters, whatever coverage you're in. There, there are there are route combinations. There are passing game things in a passing game that they can beat every coverage. Yeah. So it's not like there's one coverage that just completely, you know, covers all yeah. bases. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. you almost want to mix yeah. things up because these offenses and quarterbacks are so smart that showing somebody the same thing yeah. over and over and over can really be manipulated. So, Rod, my question is, you know, te- because Texas did get much better 
at playing. And kind of the more I haven't studied it extensively, but the little studying I've done, just pulling up YouTube videos and reading some articles, it makes sense why bunch formations and leveraging formations the way some opponents did, whether you're in three by ones or you know bunches or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why we saw Texas struggle with that running pattern match quarters because those formations, the uneven formations, it really starts to throw. It can throw all your assignments off. It can throw your rules off. Mm-hmm. Communication has to be yeah. paramount in yeah. those situations. And those guys, you know, they they're new to one another, so there's lack of familiarity there between yeah. their style of communication. They're all supposed to be seeing the same thing. They don't see the same thing, yeah. right? You want to make sure you're seeing the exact same thing. That that's what the film study is for. When you're all in the classroom together, uh, when you know, coach asks a question. You should all be seeing the same thing, that mental rep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You should have a version of the same answer that he has when you're watching same formation, down distance, and all those things. And, I, you know, so obviously I don't know what's going on in the classroom, um, but I think they did get better with it over you know, the course of the, the season. But I wonder this year if they're just going to keep the Gary Patterson kind of pattern match thing going. Nobody played more pattern match uh coverage last year cover four than Texas yeah. in the Big 12 in the Big 12 mm-hmm. they played a ton of it um so I, I I remember the patterns that beat them I mean that's why you go back and look at you know Iowa State and you go look at those the Bama game TCU. I mean it was empty not not really TCU TCU didn't do they didn't they didn't do much of like they they, they got actually te- Texas defense played pretty well against you yeah. had that one busted yeah, coverage yeah. I'm just talking about the ability to move the ball continuously on Texas yeah, yeah. Bama did really good Iowa State did really good because they used a ton of bunch formations ton of empty formations we're talking about extreme examples of formational you know advantages mm-hmm. so I think when you if you can do that against Texas I think you can find ways obviously to manipulate their eye discipline that's what yeah. you really want to do and that's what the bunch formation does you got to look at three four different things at one time mm-hmm. all I need is one of y'all to be wrong yeah on what you're supposed to be reading and your keys, and I got it. And that's why the bunch formation is really the way to go against Texas next season. Lots of empty formation, too. Jeff Trailer proved that, again, with UTSA. Now, they took that mm-hmm. from the Bama recipe, give Bill O'Brien a lot of credit, but they probably used empty formation better than anybody against Texas, and they uh, Texas didn't really have an answer for it. They, in my opinion, they didn't use it enough. They should have used it more. Yeah. Um, Iowa State really exposed Texas with the bunch formation, and people started using that. And then the burst concept, that's what Matt's talking about. We saw Case State getting with the burst concept, TCU getting with the burst concept. Essentially, you're talking about a delayed slant or what they call a hesitant slant, mm-hmm. where you kind of hesitate. It's kind of yeah. a stop and go slant, if you will. And that essentially destroys the, the read the of pattern match zone, right? Mm-hmm. So it basically violates the rules of your pattern match zone. And you're going to see more teams come up with ways to violate the rules of Texas pattern match zone, whether it be delayed releases or downfield switch routes, which is what, uh, you know, that's why a lot of guys ended up wide open too. You go look at the um, the Iowa State, uh, Xavier Hutchinson, yeah. he drops it, but mm-hmm. there's a, you know, downfield switch routes, which Texas also had trouble with. So those things are going to come up. I mean, it just, those were the only concepts, I'm being nitpicky, that really worked against Texas, but that's just, that's just reps of playing pattern match zone, in my mm-hmm. opinion, and everybody being on the same page, too. Yeah, yeah, and those are the type of things, like, what you're talking about there, it's why we always bring up Shano, because, like, his offense is, like, they lie to the defenses almost more than anybody, and if you can get to that point where you can be able to have that manipulation where you know what you're facing and it's just what those good, well-coached teams do, they're able to violate those rules of a defense and make you understand what you're facing against and use that against you. Um, so my question, Rod, for you, and I, again, I yield all matters on the secondary to you. I feel like Texas this year 
even losing Anthony Cook was a really big part of that mm-hmm. that thing on the back end last year. I yep. think even losing Anthony Cook, I think you've got enough experience with playing pattern match cover four. And your personnel, I think, is going to be better than it was last year. Whether that's some, the, some combination of Jaron Thompson, Keaton Crawford, and Jalen Catalan mm-hmm. at safety, another year for Jade Barron at that nickel position. Uh, I'm th- I'm thinking probably Terrence Brooks at that field side corner, and then obviously Ryan Watts in the boundary yeah. next year for those guys. I feel like the combination of personnel plus experience with running pattern match cover four, there's no reason why the secondary shouldn't be better and maybe significantly better considering where you're at. It's all about the field corner. Yes. And, you know, really that's the biggest question, right? Because I, I'm with you. I think Jaron Thompson's going to be veteran, signal caller kind of back there. Uh, he's been, you know, probably in, in this secondary now as a veteran more than anybody else, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he's got more experience he's got than anybody else. Experience, yeah. right? The rest of these guys kind of came in a little bit later after Jaron Thompson, so he should be the elder statesman in that secondary. I guarantee he'll be helping Jalen Catalan get, you know, lined up and get him situated too with, with you know, all the different terminology and all that kind of stuff. And we know now with Keaton Crawford that they at least they talk like they believe they got three starting safeties potentially. Yeah, the Catalan factor – I know the field corner is huge. The Catalan factor for me is the thing that can put this over the top because if if he can stay healthy and you find productive ways to use him, the guy was one of the best defensive backs in the SEC for a reason. Like he, he's he's a yeah. hell of a player and, when and he he's healthy. Policy behind him too. Yes. If Keaton Crawford, if they if they like him as much as they say, which I think they do. And I think it was huge too to for you know BJ Allen and Larry Turner Good not to go into the portal after spring ball. That's true. You know? That's a good point. I I didn't think about that. That's a really good point about it. But um, I I think the field corner is going to be the biggest concern, and a lot of those coverages that we're talking about with the pattern match zone, and a lot of the ways you can attack it formationally um, with different schemes and tactics, it will be on the field side. That's why they um, will no question. I, I heard from a pretty good source that that's why you saw Deshaun Jameson play more in the bowl game than Terrence Brooks because that Texas staff. I was told the staff felt like Washington's going to run a lot of bunch formations. Mm-hmm. They're going to leverage their formations differently. Got NFL quarterback, and, NFL wideouts. And Deshaun Jameson's just seen it more. He's more mentally prepared for it. Terrence yeah. Brooks physically is the better player, but they just felt like Deshaun was mentally more prepared to handle what Washington was going to throw. A safer option. Yeah. You know, he may not be a higher upside, and we may lose a little in playmaking ability, but, man, I'll take that over a guy that may give up a big bomb mm-hmm. and cost mm-hmm. us the game potentially. So it's all about trust. I, I think Terrence Brooks is going to win that spot, but there's no doubt if I am an offensive coordinator, I'm going after him. Yeah. I'm going after him. Who else are you going to go after? Yeah. You're going to go after Ryan Watts? Well, good luck with that. I mean, the guy's pretty damn good at what he does. I think you can get over on him, but it's, it's downfield, and you better hope you get downfield before Byron Murphy or Anthony Hill's in that backfield, right? Yeah. So, or they're putting pressure on the quarterback, which Texas is one of the best in the country at doing. So that's not really a, you know, that's a 50 50, but you want to make sure that your wide receiver can win that one on one. You can go at Jay Barron, but we've talked about it. I expect him to be an all conference defender this year. Yeah. So that ain't, to me, that's not really a, a likely option or a winning option. Um, go at the safeties if you want to. Jaron Thompson can cover. Jalen Catalan can cover. If Keaton Crawford's out there, I'd go after him. But if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm starting with that field corner. I'm going to test his eyes. Yeah. I'm going to test his, his, his discipline. I'm going to test his ability to be able to play the deep ball, to play the quick game, to play everything. So I think Terrence Brooks is going to make them plays, but he yeah. no doubt he's going to get tested. And, you know, you're talking about 
like I, we brought this up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, in the ideal world, like why somebody like a Nick Saban plays so much, man. It's like when you can get to that point where you have these guys that you trust, that they're so good, Texas is starting to get those type of guys where you have a watch and then you can see, say, the future with a guy like Brooks. But then whenever you have these offenses doing these things to, you know, to get, use your inexperience against you and you reason why you have to go to a guy like, say, Jameson in that situation, especially when you're talking about these different bunch formations or these different ways that they're able to get confusion amongst players. It's the same thing that you see, like, say, in the NBA. You love having that one guy that can fight over every screen and just chase a dude man-to-man. If you had a, a team full of Tony Allens to do that, you would do that all day long. But that's when you get switching to come in because not every human can do these things, but you can, as a team, feel more comfortable covering it. And that's just sort of where you can marry these zone concepts when you have a weakness and do and be just as effective to not give up that huge play. But the goal is always, if, man, if I can get to that point where we can just have man-to-man and have our guys out there and man up and be able to have confidence that they can just beat that guy in front of them no matter what they're doing and what they're crossing up and making the, you know, the deciphering, the thought process, all the different things that cause you to hesitate to get beat. Texas is looking to get to that point where once you can get out there and just play man, then it loosens up the numbers. You can have more going home or going and to allocate to whatever skill guys you need, and that's where you're sort of striving to get to. Yep. Rod, which option do you like better? Like, Let's say we'll prepare for contingencies here. Let's say it's not Terrence Brooks, right? He, whatever. Mm. He's not, yeah. a, not a factor. Yeah. Which option do you like better? Do you like running out, you know, Gavin Holmes or Austin Jordan or whoever it is? Maybe it's Manny Muhammad. I don't know. Do you like just having somebody else at field corner, or would you move Jade Barron to that field corner and roll somebody else at that at that star position? I don't know. It depends on you know how well my safeties can cover. You know, I can I, I mean, can Jaden Catalan play the nickel? I don't know. Like I, he's. Stout enough, I compact enough. Like, I almost I don't, don't want him to. Um, we think he'll get hurt doing it. Yeah, um, could be. I, I, mean, I, I mean, if he's gonna get hurt playing, if he's gonna get hurt, it's gonna get hurt. I mean, I, yeah. I, God bless him. I'm, I'm not trying to. Yeah. Like, it's not just Jordan Whitney's thing. It's like people are like, don't do that. Don't don't put it in the backfield. Like, don't put it in the backfield. He's a football player. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, the thing what you're playing football, about, man. Like, come on, man. Yeah. You gonna get hurt? You gonna get hurt? Like, it, we can't build game plans. We're trying to protect guys. Like, no, no, no. We don't do that, right. man. We don't bubble wrap guys. No, no. You gonna play? You gonna play? You gonna get hurt? You gonna get hurt? That's why they got Keaton Crawford back there. So my question would be, can he play the nickel? Oh, he's very nickel. Yeah, he's an instinctive player, right? You want guys who are instinctual uh, and guys who have great kind of football IQ, really high football IQ. He's proven that. And he's undersized, which means he's used to handling himself. Now, I know he can hit too, but, I mean, will he, is he willing to play nickel, I guess, is the bigger question. Because I think skill-wise he could do it. And I think it would add to his value in the NFL mm-hmm. too. They would love a guy that can play nickel and also play safety, Quandre Diggs, yeah. right? They love that kind of stuff. So I would, I would try to see if he could play it. Um, I man, Jaday Barron. I know he could go out there and play the corner, so that would probably be my first option. But it only depends on if I trust the player who is behind him at nickel. And right now, I don't. I don't know. Like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, let's say we don't even know. Is it Gavin Holmes? Yeah. Is it Austin? What's the Jordan? drop off between your second team corner, field, second team field corner, and second team nickel? That's <sighs> what I need to know. And which one do you trust the most or the least? 
Because if not, then we're gonna we might go to three safety packages. Right. Texas, if you got three safety, why, why can't you run three yeah. safety packs? Everybody, I mean, everybody in football right now is running three safety packs. The only time Texas ran three safety packages last year was against Texas Tech. The only time I saw it in my film review. So hell, everybody's running three safeties. Why can't you run some three safety packages? Yeah, I you mean, got three that's... really good safeties. You got two NFL safeties. You can't run three safety packages. So my contingency, since you had Dan Quinn here, all right, to speak and you bring you know him really well, Sark. And by the way, nobody runs more three safety packages than the Cowboys because they perfected the three-safety rotation, and they got probably the best safety core in the NFL, why don't we steal some of those concepts and you run a three-safety package? By the way, Iowa State has made a, a living and a killing oh. of running three-safety package in the Big 12. Why don't you give them a taste of their own damn medicine every now and then since you're so deep? So I'm going to think it's contingency plans. You should just be kind of looking at the best way to put the best 11 guys on the field. And if you feel like your safeties are better than if you get somebody hurt or if, you know Terrence Brooks can't get it done, that your safeties are part of your best 11, get them out there. And you know what? Yeah. Catalan can do that because he played in that Barry Odom defense at Arkansas. Come on, man. Yeah, it's they Jaylen, play is a, three safety. Is, right? a healthy, is a healthy Jalen Catalan, like when you think about how that Iowa State defense is constructed, is a healthy Jalen Catalan not like the ideal middle safety oh, in that defense? Oh, yeah. Because you can uh, roll him down to the box. You can let him yeah. go cover. He can play middle field. Oh, you want a guy that can do everything. perfect for that. I'm telling when, you. I don't know. What, cause they played it one time last year against Tech, and maybe they it was a, it seemed matchup, obviously, in game specific. Because I didn't see it a lot. I would love to see it there. And I think they did it with Jade Barron. Yeah, that might be. Like and I think they the almost yeah. wanted to do it because like of the safety. mobile quarterback, too. Like uh, just maybe. having another guy closer to like. But no, Jade Barron's what I was going to bring up because if you look at last year, just in straight slot coverage, I mean, Jaron Thompson was elite. He gave up mm-hmm. a 56.3 NFL passer rating on 121 slot snaps. Jade Barron by far had the highest volume, 244 coverage snaps there. And it was just 76.6 in his coverage uh, NFL passer rating allowed. So, I mean, yeah, Jalen Gilbo ended up playing 107 snaps there. He was, I mean, a 90 NFL passer rating isn't great, but it isn't really bad either. It isn't over no. 100, so it's still serviceable. Those are your main guys to where the ones that struggled at it, Cook, he gave up a 112 NFL passer Which is rating. why he moved to safety. Yep, in mm-hmm. 195. And then <laughs> exactly right. the other ones, Keaton Crawford played 47 snaps there. He was at 116. So, he, I mean, he, he between, just moved the move there last year. Yep, between J, uh, Jaron Thompson and Jade Barron, it looks like you have two guys that are really confident that based on matchup and their strengths, yep. I think that's how you can really play them. I like but that. All of, you can do it with Jade Barron. Like all that. of this, though, it just reinforces, Rod, your point that. Terrence Brooks might be the most pivotal piece to whatever this defensive ceiling is. Yeah, because you're only stronger. I'm not saying he's a weak link, but he's an unproven commodity mm-hmm. for you. you yeah, know what I mean, and, yeah. And it, like I said, I'm a, if I'm a defense, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I mean, building game plans early on is pretty simple. You you stay away from the proven commodities and you attack the unproven ones. And they prove themselves throughout the game. And at one point, you ain't got listen. You ain't got eleven All Americans on this team. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got some good players, but ain't eleven All Americans. All I need to find is one guy that's average to below average, and that's that's all it takes to build an offensive game plan. And I pulled <laughs> Catalan's numbers too, and it looks like twenty twenty he struggled. Uh, he gave up one hundred thirty four NFL passer rating on eighty nine covered snaps, but in twenty twenty one he was much better. He only had twenty three covered snaps before he got hurt. And he was at an 87.5, but that sort of aligns with what we're saying, more traditional safety that he can play back-end type safety and you can have somebody else roll down into the nickel. I mean, you can have Jaron Thompson roll down there. I, I just – but to me, the and bottom Barron. line – Yeah, the bottom line is, I mean, it, and you could slide Barron over the corner, but like I said, it just reinforces Rod's 
point, and I'll take. I even took it a step further. I think he he is the most pivotal piece to whatever this defensive ceiling is going to be. I think I think it's going to be with Terrence Brooks being your field corner. And I'm not saying he's got to play at an All Big Twelve level, but he's got to be. You got to get it consistently from mm-hmm. him week in and week out. Yeah, you got to get sure his baseline is one that is. <laughs> I'm going to say at a conference level, I don't know if he'll make all conference because he's going to get tested a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think when you go look at targets by the end of the season, he'll probably have more targets like directed at him than any other DB in that secondary. Yeah. It just makes sense. Um, that's on the field side. Yeah, that's yeah, that's to be expected. Um, and Gavin Holmes only played like 12 snaps each year there, so yeah. he hasn't done much. That's true. We don't know about him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's just it's interesting to think about it from that. And, and you know, from a personnel standpoint, Rod, like this is why if you're Sark and your PK and your Terry Joseph, like, yeah, your field corner is gonna can get exposed in pattern match cover four. Cause like you said, cover four, no matter how you want to run it, it basically devolves into man coverage yeah. at some point. And formationally you can stress it as much as you want. Because yeah. if you run bunch or you run, you know, three by one sets, you can really kind of manufacture your one on one. Yeah. The but for those coaches, this is why you recruited six foot plus corners that are mm-hmm. long and that are really good in press coverage. Yeah. This is why you did it. Yep. So exactly now we're right. gonna figure out. This is when we're really gonna figure out because year one, take it for whatever it was. Year two, people can talk about the Gary Patterson influence, and that's certainly certainly a factor you got to figure in. Mm-hmm. But there is no question that the twenty twenty three Texas defense, this will be Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. Because the personnel is in place that they've either recruited or developed, there's no Gary Patterson around to for people to give him credit. And say, oh, it's GP. The, the GP is the reason why we're hanging with Alabama and TCU. This is all going to be P, this is PK's baby now. I agree with that, I, and I think he'll be fine. I, I I think the first year, you know, there was a obviously a lot of transition for him um, into a different conference, and I think he miscalculated the culture of the conference. I think Gary Patterson came in and was able to interpret, decipher. The conference for PK, and I think PK's got it now. Um, I, I'm not saying you're not going to miss GP because I do think you're going to miss GP. We know he was helping yeah. game plan for, for games like Bama and TCU, two of your biggest opponents last year. You didn't win those games, but you were in those games, uh, obviously down to the fourth quarter. I do think that PK now, because I love that hire initially. I, you guys know that I love that. Mm-hmm. I actually like that hire more than I like the, uh, the Zark hire initially. Uh, but he did struggle, but I do think PK is a damn good DC. I say he just didn't know the lay of the land. Sometimes the map is not the terrain, and I think now he knows the terrain as opposed to looking at a map and going, oh, I can do this. Like, yeah. nah, you can't. The Big 12 is a different beast, man. It's a different yeah. beast. And and I think on top of that, Rod, I mean, they got to the point where that Washington defense, when he was running that thing, and you know, he and, and Jimmy Lake had a really big hand in that too. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where they were at such a level with personnel. There, there weren't that many offenses in the country that were going to mess with that Washington defense. I mean, when you're talking yep. about running out Shaq Thompson and Danny Shelton and Buda Baker, I mean, just go look at the the, premi- the premium yep. draft picks that that defense produced. Uh, they had the personnel to pretty much do whatever they wanted. But that is the question, though, right? Because the biggest concern when PK came in was how is he going to do without Jimmy Lake coordinating the coverages with his fronts and with his pressures? And I guess, you know, he didn't really answer that question or answer the bell in the first year. Bring in Gary Patterson, someone who's famous for doing what? 
coordinating pressures with blitzes and fronts, all right, as well as anybody in the history of college football, you could argue. And then, obviously, the light went off for PK. So the question is now, now that you've lost the other – I know Terry Joseph is supposed to be this guy that's coordinating the coverages now too, but – you know, when you had Jimmy Lake and you had a Gary Patterson there helping you coordinate the coverages, you had great defenses. Now you don't have that. Can yeah. Terry Joseph be that guy? Because it didn't seem like he was that guy to help to help coordinate that defense yeah. or secondary coverage-wise in the first season. That's where I hope, you know, he still continues to have a dialogue with Dan Quinn. Because Dan Quinn is a front guy who's been really good mixing his fronts with his coverages. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where PK is trying to get to because all the training wheels are off. He doesn't have Jimmy Lake and he doesn't have Gary Patterson. And now he's got his personnel. There really are no excuses to me why this defense should take a step back. The best thing that I think for that PK's got going from now, even though he's lost Gary Patterson and trying to tie the fronts with the coverages, is that he's got veterans in like the central nervous system of the defense. Yeah. You got a safety, Jaron Thompson, who's an elder statesman now. You got a guy, Jalen Catalan, coming in who's seen a lot of football experience wise. Jalen Ford's probably your best player on defense. He's at the heart of your damn defense, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got, you know, your 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 strength of your defense is probably your interior D line with guys like Byron Murphy and guys like Devontae Sweat and Alfred Collins. So Don't forget Trill. Don't forget Trill, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think for him, that's his saving grace is that we've seen you know, the last I don't know, four or five defensive coordinators at Texas, most of the time when they have a really good defense, it's because they got veteran leadership, right? That central nervous system. He's got that this year. To me, I think he's going to have a good year. And to finish out the central nervous system, just after pulling the numbers for Jaron Thompson and seeing that maybe he could be a good answer at times to go down into the nickel, it makes you want to have a safety that can cover. And if you look at the six games before Catalan was injured in 2021, he had 194 coverage snaps, which is a pretty good sample size. And he was elite in both man and in zone. In zone, it was a 50 NFL passer rating allowed, which is like on that same level. Now, you had Jamison do that as a corner, but this is elite. And then in man coverage, which is tougher to be elite at, it was a mm-hmm. 79.2 NFL passer rating allowed. So, I mean, you look at that 2021 year, he was elite no matter what coverage you put him yeah. in. It was just injuries that kept him from playing last year. So, like, that's top tier in the SEC as good as you could ask for. I agree. And I think, you know, the pass rush component, because other than the field corner, the pass rush in terms of affecting the quarterback – and I'm not necessarily talking about the sack numbers. I'm saying if you're affecting the quarterback, your number of batted balls at the line of scrimmage, your number of forced incompletions, your number of PBUs, your number of interceptions, all those numbers need to go up if you're affecting the quarterback. It's true. It's not necessarily Disruption. yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily just sacks. You gotta look you gotta look at those havoc plays. Mm-hmm. And your havoc your havoc your havoc numbers have to be there from your defensive front, especially now that you don't have DeMarvin Overshaw. You're going to use Anthony Hill as a blitzer. You, I don't know why you wouldn't, but you can't expect him to just, as a true freshman, be as good as DeMarvin Overshaw was there. And maybe, I think, Rod, any time I hear people talk about the pass rush from Texas, the disruption, it goes back to Baron Sorrell or the edge opposite of Justice Finkley. Maybe we've been thinking about it all wrong. Maybe Byron Murphy is your best pass rusher, and the PFF numbers will back that up. Mm-hmm. Maybe he really is your best pass rusher. That's where your pressure is going to come from. Yeah, which is not I mean, that's that's not a problem at all because no. you can still collapse it's the pocket. Yeah, you can still collapse the pocket from right there. It's just a non traditional way to do it. And I think basically people like edge rushers to be the natural kind of the basically your natural best pass rusher on the team, or at least your featured highlighted pass rusher on the team, because it's easier to arrange one on ones. Y'all just trying to arrange one on ones, defensively, offensively. 
How can I get my best player one-on-one against that other guy? Hopefully a matchup advantage. And on the edge, easier to do, right? You're just on the edge, going up against that guy. You create space by your BGL, create space by your pass rushing technique, your lanes, all that kind of stuff. And you can do it on your own. When the guy's in the interior, hard to create a one-on-one, right? Because, yeah, they may leave you one-on-one with the guard, but then you get a little help from the center, get a little mm-hmm. help from, you know, the, the bat chipping inside, whatever it may be. So you got to use twists and stunts up front. You got to blitz very strategically in the interior your gaps try to create those one-on-one opportunities for byron murphy try to feature him they're not doing that they're just saying all right byron murphy just we're gonna leave you in there to get create pressure it's gonna happen early and then it will fade it will fade because teams they do film study and they'll go all right we ain't letting that dude get one-on-one with anybody we're gonna have him uh blocked head up with a guy but we're also gonna give you some help so you can shade the outside the center will help you on the inside uh we'll uh, we'll you know end up you know uh will end up basically deciding to isolate our our blockers uh, on him and try to uh, create a way to keep him in a you know a two two on one situation. Yeah. So you got to make sure you're creating the one on ones for him. That's going to be that's on PK. I, yeah. I could see like I, for that reason, Rod, what you just said. I, I could see Byron Murphy having a huge day against Alabama. Oh yeah, because Bama could say you know Nick Saban could say hey, our, our, we think ours are better than yours. If yeah. you think yours are better, go beat it. And I could see Byron Murphy having you know. Three and a half tackles for loss and a sack and mm-hmm. a half or whatever. Yeah, yep. and Bama. also to I that totally point, agree with that. We saw last year, like I remember seeing a film during Keandre Coburn's film breakdown around the draft, and people were talking, saying, "Man, he's a man eater." And it was Alabama mm-hmm. was doubling him, and how much a huge body like mm-hmm. that frees up the rest of your line. Murphy's a totally different type of interior lineman yeah. that isn't necessarily there. But I mean, if you ha- that's where those large humans that you like start talking about, okay. he likes to have one of those that can make mm. you have to allocate multiple people that'll free up and either make say you don't have edge rushers, it makes it a lot easier for them, or it makes that guy directly next to him get that one on one. And that's where, like, when we talked about the premium positions in the NFL and the morphing to the point that, like, now interior edge rushers compared to or interior linemen compared to edge rushers the highest paid one's Aaron Donald he's paid more than any edge rusher because if you are elite there they can see what your value and make it worth it and you're still talking only seven edge rushers getting paid over 20 million six interior defensive linemen that used to not be the case up until like the last five years remember I asked Sark the game week you know though before the uh, Louisiana Monroe game or maybe it was in camp about, hell, I don't remember when I asked it, whenever I asked the damn question, about, uh, you know, pressure or coverage, which mm-hmm. one were you oh, going to yeah. focus mm-hmm. on? And the quote, and I don't remember his exact quote, but it's something along the lines of, well, not everybody has Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not saying Byron Murphy's Aaron Donald, but you, you have your own little spark plug there in the middle mm-hmm. of your defensive line who's probably your best pass rusher. Yeah, and he's, un- he's a little undersized, which is which is good, actually. Yeah. If you're going to be a, a pass rusher, lowest, lowest pad level wins, if you get great BGO, which I hear he's got unbelievable BGO, yeah. then, man, those guys, you'll get underneath those guys consistently. And then they'll decide, you know what, man, we just got to go two-on-one. We got to put two guys on them. And then you win. I, He's not going to like it all the yeah. time, but then that, the defense wins. I buy stock into guys, and this has been the case with Byron Murphy since he got here. When you start hearing about guys showing out on the practice field and be like, hey, watch this guy, watch this guy, and then the few snaps he gets to play when he when those are impactful snaps, and then the more snaps he gets, you're like, okay, it's not like this is leveling off. He's yep. still productive. I mean, I'll buy stock in that guy. If he's getting, you know, with Coburn and Ojemo gone, if he's getting more reps this year, then I'll, I'll buy stock in Byron Murphy being an All Big Twelve player. 
For sure. Uh, I, I'm with you on that. Well, he's been trending, right? We, yeah. We, he has not really had a setback or a regression. He has just been kind of trending in the right way. It's been a linear progression for him, and I think he's ready to peak. This yeah. is, It seems like his peak year here. Um, and, uh, think about guys like Coburn. They were hard to follow because it, it was still inconsistent, right? You didn't get that linear trajectory where he was always trending upward. Yeah. He, you know, he started trending upward, then there'd be some regression, and then you know, he'd have down, he'd have a down game or a period, um, and then he'd have another great game. It was really inconsistent. And then his last year was like, man, where'd this Kendrick Coburn come from? Mm-hmm. He is consistently, consistently good, and even consistently good to be great mm-hmm. at times. And that's what you want. And I think Byron Murphy. It, I think he's ready to have an all big 12 year. No I feel question. like, I feel like what we're saying about Byron Murphy right now and what's being said behind that burn orange curtain rod, as you like to call it about Byron Murphy, it feels like the same tone and tenor of what was being said this time a year ago by Jalen Ford. Well, and it was it's literally what Keandre that. Coburn said about Byron Murphy last summer. He did we, say that. He, he said that's our Aaron mm-hmm. Donald. And we we're like, yeah, well we can see that body type in that motor, but hopefully he gets to that point. But Coburn did say that about him. That's true. I, yeah, I remember that. You're right. I, I think. I mean, and this is no disrespect because Ojemo and Coburn just got both got drafted, which you can't take that away from those guys. I think if Mur- if Murphy and Sweat are playing more snaps, tell me why that shouldn't be a more impactful tandem as your primary duo up front. Because I love Tavondre Sweat. We talked about just the athleticism and size combo he brings, mm-hmm. and and we know what Byron Murphy brings to the table. I think that's. That's two really damn disruptive tackles. It is, but think about what Kendrick Coburn said last year. I thought it was really interesting. He, cause, and I forgot the number that he gave, but he was like, man, we actually don't get that many snaps in yeah. the game when you break it down. Yeah. And he said, we are so deep, and, and the other guys are really good playing at a high level. He said, man, you're just hungry. To, to make a play out there to, to try to make sure that you continue to get snaps. He said we were dividing up snaps because Bo Davis likes to have guys fresh in that interior D-line. And I remember him saying, like, yeah, man, we actually don't. He's, I, was like, I was like, really? He's like, nah, man, we play a lot of guys. And they, they did. They play a lot mm-hmm. of guys in the interior mm-hmm. last yeah. year. And I think it created a culture with that interior D-line of they were like some rabid dogs. Yeah. That off the leash when they got out there because they mm-hmm. didn't get as many reps as you think because they mm-hmm. were so deep. They were the deepest interior D line in the country. They were yeah. the deepest. And think about it, say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it's tough for me to, you know, be able to think about and to contemplate that this was the deepest interior D line in the country. When Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton are your number three group. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, when you break it <laughs> yeah. down, you're like, you can debate us. Like, oh, we're going to debate it. So maybe they were number three. They still were top three. It is unbelievable. And when you start thinking about breaking down, it does make sense that they just didn't get a lot of reps. I haven't went back and looked at it per game. Um, but I remember him saying something along those lines, and I thought that's great for fostering an environment of, of, of really accountability in that room. That everybody's got to play at a high level or, you know, man, you know what? You, I'm going to take five, five snaps away from you. Give it to Sweat because Sweat's over here balling. Like, mm-hmm. Nobody wanted that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody was in there with that dog in them and playing with a sense of urgency on every down. And I do, I think, I mean, I, honestly, I, I think it helped that room. So I wonder this year if you'll lose some of that. Yeah, you yeah. can play a lot of guys, but they want everybody was fresh and everybody was hungry as hell for them snaps. Yeah. And now, yeah, you may play more of uh, Byron Murphy and more of Tavondre Sweat, but you ain't getting them pushed by Coburn and by Ojemo. We know how Ojemo gets down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think you're going to lose a little bit just because, obviously, you lose two NFL guys. But also, man, I don't know if Alfred Collins mm. and, uh, you know, v- Vernon has already been brought in 
are going to have that type of mentality because they, they were on the lower end of getting yeah. some of those snaps. Yeah. Are they going to be able to have that same mentality that Coburn and Ojimo had where, now, nah, man, we're a dog and I want, I, I want more snaps and I'm willing to take them from my own damn teammate. That's how I'm about to go out here and get down. I don't know if you'll have that. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. But that D-line, interior D-line, had a different mentality last year, man. And I think it was because they were so damn deep. I remember being in a room that deep. I remember being in a room with multiple NFL draft picks yeah. being around. I remember playing in the secondary three, four of the guys that played in the NFL. I remember them, and I remember what it turned me into. You ain't taking my job. Like, you ain't taking my snaps. You ain't taking my reps. God bless you. But I remember what it turned me into, and it turned them into the same thing. It turns you into a dog. Yeah, and to those, put the numbers <laughs> yeah. on what you're talking about. There wasn't a D lineman in the top nine in snap count on defense. If you go across it now, you have an edge rusher. Uh, and, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You had edge rushers in a GoFu and uh, Sorrell, two of them that were between the 600 to 800 count. But if you look at just straight D linemen, because it went Jaron Thompson at the top 861, Jalen Ford 815, Watts 773, Ogofu 766, Barron 727, Overshone 712, Cook 699, Sorrell 631, Jamison 630 or 628, all the way down to Sweat 461, to Coburn 413. And then if you look positions wow. 10 through 16, yeah. you have five of the D linemen in there. It's Sweat 463, Coburn 413, Murphy 393, Ojimo 376, Alfred Collins 260, and Vernon Broughton 242. Oh, they're playing like 35, 35, under 40 snaps a game, like yeah. 35 to 38 snaps, whatever it is. So, yeah, that, that tracks to what Coburn said. He's like, nah, man, we don't get a lot of reps, so I got to make sure I make the most of them. you damn right, you better. And for Bo Davis, it's easy. Like, yeah. you go in there in the film room, you go, damn, man, you got three bad reps in a row. That's easy. Let me give whoever balled out in film, give them five more reps, take five from you. That's easy. Yeah. That's And that's psychologically, that is devastating for a player, man. Trust me. That and, kind of demotion, it is devastating. And it will make you stay out after practice, get to practice early, hit the weight room early, hit the film room again. Mm -hmm. And I think I remember that DBU mentality, and I think they had it in that D-line room with Bo Davis. You know how Bo Davis gets down? Mm -hmm. Do we know BD energy, Bo Davis energy? You know how that dude's getting down in that room? Yeah. You, man, you're taking a playoff, you loafing on a play. That dude eviscerates you in front of your teammates. And undresses you, man. Dog cusses you, and then gives your reps to another man. Yeah, when, when, I, go to the, when I go to the practice field, I don't want to look Bo Davis in the eye. <laughs> Nobody does. Mm. <laughs> I look down when that's I go like Bo Davis. That's why. <laughs> that's why they put D line on the far field. Like, hey, Coach Bo, do his you thing down there with his guys, says, man. But and scary. also, when you have those type of numbers, it gives you the ability to platoon those guys and accentuate mm -hmm. their strengths so they're amplified. They yeah. first are maximized, so they're optimized in every level. Not only yeah. are they not lacking energy or getting tired as the game goes on, they have more energy, but they're being put in the positions that yeah. they're best at. You're right, and you're able to, and especially when you're playing a team that's going to be substituting and stuff and isn't trying to go against you to where you can literally craft what you want, it makes you become a better player than you actually yeah, are. Yeah, and I bet, to their point, I bet if you looked at it game-wise and you broke it down mm -hmm. situationally, short, you know, short yardage, red zones, 
uh, you know, uh, two minute drills, mm-hmm. all different different situations and game. Splits. I bet it was all based on matchup wise. I bet he did exactly what you say. It's like, now nah, this guy, these are my best run stuffers. These are my best pass rushers. This guy's great in the red zone because he mm-hmm. blows it up. This guy's yep. great in short yardage. And I bet if we went and looked at it film wise, which I might do if I get bored enough, I bet they had some guys playing, at, you know, more reps in certain situations than others. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely yeah. in the offseason chart out the snap counts just to see because you can a lot of the time find those rhythms yeah. within the coaching no pattern. Question. And it's the same thing that, say, like really good baseball teams do, like the Astros do where you have a superfluous amount of players, like four outfielders to play three positions. It's like, yeah, but this guy kills curveballs and we're facing righties today. Yep. And that's just your, it's a good way to have good coaches put your players in the best situation to be successful. You don't need to know anything about Bo Davis other than anybody that's willing to go out and on the practice field in August and wear a sweatshirt, not a dry fit long sleeve, wear a sweatshirt, <laughs> yeah, man. then you, you're you a different level of tough. You are. You're, tu- you're tough bordering on crazy. <laughs> yeah, because you enjoy point. the uncomfortable. Rod, you know those kind of type guys. You're around those guys in college and in the league, those guys that are, man, you're tough, but you're like an inch or two away from mm-hmm. crazy. going to going to someplace where yeah. I don't even want to imagine exactly. right now. Yeah. I know those guys, trust me. So <laughs> what, we've, what we've broken it down to, gentlemen, correct me if I'm wrong, as we get out of here, uh, the keys to this Texas defense. It, it's easier to sort out the players at premium positions on offense and what they need to do. Worthy, ba- Worthy, Banks, and Ewers. But on defense, it's Terrence Brooks at that field corner. And then for the defensive line, Rod, to wrap up what you said, this is why my thing for that group has been I'm not concerned about Sweat and Murphy giving you what you got and maybe more from Coburn and Ojemo last mm-hmm. year. I'm worried about can – Collins and Broughton mm. give you what Sweat and Murphy gave you last year. Exactly. I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I think they'll get. I think they'll be good players, but like I said, I, and you you're gonna end up with. And I help. I wonder how many of these guys will end up in getting drafted into the NFL. You could end up when it's all said and done from that group last year having what five interior D linemen drafted from that group. Yeah, because I think because Sweat and Murphy, Murphy gonna get drafted. I think I think Alfred get drafted. Alfred drafted on potential. That's what I'm saying. You can get five, and then I'm wondering about you know. I, you know, I, I obviously I think Vernon Brown is a good player, but he's got you know measurables too. Uh, but I don't know if he's got the film, so he may go undrafted free agent somewhere. But you're talking about NFL players, man, three deep. Alfred mm-hmm. Collins is one of those guys that we always see taken on day three, where it's like he wasn't that productive, but then you start looking at the measurables, you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. He's worth taking a flyer. No, oh no, he's, you'll go to the league and end up signing a second contract with somebody. <laughs> he, there's so there's so much about Alfred Collins, like as a player, that just reminds me about Henry Melton. That I feel like mm-hmm. you you know you'll oh, yeah. be, you'll want more, you'll want more. Then when it's contract time, I do the ball out. It's gonna ball Henry out, Melton's man. best year at Texas was his senior year, when he's like, all right, it's time to show the scouts some. All right, let me put some good tape out there. Damn right. Hey, you know what? Bo Davis will take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> take, I, think every, will. I think everybody will take yeah, it. We'll this take point. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody, the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 1019 AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B and Mike Harge each and every weekday on Bald on Life from 3 to 7. Seamus Blood. You can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.